0: was, I mean it's fair to say the words cultural phenomenon would be appropriate. So I thought I should go see it. And I have to tell you, I really didn't get what all the fuss was about. I mean even the title sounded wrong. The movie begins and it's warm and sunny and beautiful. Sure, they do turn one room into a winter wonderland, but that was it. One girl is singing outside the weather is so nice. And then as I was watching the movie my phone rang and I went to take the phone call. Admittedly the call went a little long. But when I got back, guess what? The weather was still all warm and sunny at the end. Did they really call the movie Frozen because of what they did to that one room? Clearly this is facetious and ridiculous. You know me better than that. You know that I've seen the movie Frozen many, many, many times. That I have memorized the songs. And it's not really watching a movie if you miss the vast majority. Am I right? See, we know this. We know this, and yet when it comes to the most important part of the Bible, we can do the same thing. Let me explain. Today we celebrate Palm Sunday. It's why we have these really weird plants in our hands. Palm Sunday is the start of Holy Week, where we tell the story of the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday. Again, mark your calendars. It'll be fun. Mark... uh, Palm Sunday is a day of extreme joy when we celebrate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, hailed as a king. Easter Sunday is a day of extreme joy when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But in between those celebrations, a lot of stuff happens. And if we miss it, if we skip it, well, you wind up wondering why they called the movie Frozen. Yes, I know that joke fell flat the first time I did it, and yes, I brought it back, and yes, I know it fell flat the second time I did it. I am undeterred. (laughs) So this morning, we are going to look not only at the palms, but also at the passion. We'll begin at the beginning of the week. That's a good place to start. Jesus has finally arrived near Jerusalem. His mission always was going to lead him there the Messiah was destined to come to Jerusalem and retake the throne of David. Now, I know I make a lot of Lord of the Rings references, but it was on this weekend, so I have to. This is like Aragorn returning to Gondor, Isildur's heir returning to take his ancestor's throne. I promise that will be the last one for a few weeks. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem right before the celebration of the Passover. Jesus and his followers wouldn't have been the only Jews traveling to Jerusalem at this time, however. Instead, the city would have been bustling, as faithful Jews from all over Israel would make a pilgrimage to the holy city for the festival. But Jesus wasn't the only ruler who would arrive in Jerusalem. Pontius Pilate, the local Roman authority over the region would also have arrived to make sure that the festival was celebrated in peace. You see, if there was one thing that frightened the Romans, it was insurrection. It was rebellion. And the festival of of the Passover celebrated and commemorated the time in the history of Israel when God had liberated them from another ruling power. That time it was Egypt. Pilate would have made the trip to Jerusalem to ensure that while celebrating their release from oppressors in Egypt, the conquered Jews didn't get any crazy ideas. But Pilate would not have come alone. Instead, Pilate would have come with a great company of soldiers. He would have come with pomp and circumstance. He would have come in a great procession He would have had a great procession with him, one that made clear the power and might of Rome. It would not only be his presence in Jerusalem that would remind those gathered for the celebration to stay in line, but the manner in which he arrived would also send that message. Pilate himself would have rode a great war horse into the city. He would have entered in a manner befitting the military might of Rome. Pilate's procession. Pilate's entry would have been impressive and imposing. What about Jesus? How did the King of kings and Lord of lords enter the city? How did the Son of David, how did the Son of God make his way into Jerusalem? Matthew 21 tells us. It's on the screen right here. It's printed in your lifeline. uh, And... If you would like to read it out of the Bible and don't have a Bible, we have Bibles available at our welcome table. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her, a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, And he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now let's be clear about one thing here. The disciples kind of stole that donkey. I mean, they walk up to a village they, don't, they weren't from, to a house with people they don't know, and take a donkey without asking permission first. That's kind of stealing. Another joke that fell flat this morning. I digress. I will keep trying. Jesus arrives into the city riding not a giant war horse, but a donkey, a colt. Animals that have never been ridden before. Jesus' entry is humble. It's muted. Jesus arrives in the city not followed by Roman soldiers and trappings of military might, but surrounded by peasants. Surrounded by those that followed him in his travels around Galilee. Surrounded by his disciples. People who had given up everything to follow him. Pilate enters the city with people whom he pays to protect him and to do his will. Jesus enters the city with those who follow him and serve him out of love. The Bible tells us nothing of how the crowds in Jerusalem greeted Pilate upon his arrival, but given some historical information, we can reconstruct the scene. The Israelites hated the Romans the way any occupied people hate the occupying force. During this period in history, there were numerous attempted revolutions. Given that climate, and given the charged atmosphere of the Passover festival, anti-Roman sentiment would have been high. The way Pilate would have entered the city, flanked by the power of Roman military might, would have supercharged the anti-Roman fervor. Pilate would not have been welcomed into the city by the people of Jerusalem. Pilate would not have been praised as he strode through the city gates. Pilate would have been booed. Pilate would have been jeered. Pilate would have been hissed. Pilate would have taken the brunt of a people who wanted to say to the Romans, We don't want you here. We don't need you here. You are unwelcome here. Jesus enters the city to shouts of Hosanna. Jesus enters the city to shouts of praise. Jesus enters the city and people declare him the king. Jesus enters the city to a parade atmosphere. If Pilate was told by the crowd, you are unwelcome, Jesus was told by the crowd, we have been waiting for you. On some level, it's hard to see how this scene could so quickly spiral and devolve to this same crowd shouting crucify him five days later. And yet, on other levels, it's quite easy to see. On the one hand, we see this crowd welcoming Jesus as their king. We see the crowd hailing Jesus as the Messiah. We see the crowd claiming Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to restore Israel, to save Israel, and to return them their king. But that's exactly how the palms lead to the Passion. Because while the crowds welcomed Jesus as their King, while the crowds welcomed Jesus as their Messiah, there were groups that stood to lose if that were the case. There were religious elites and political leaders of Israel who would lose their standing if Jesus were the Messiah. And these religious elites and political leaders lived a pretty comfortable life thanks to their cozy relationship with the Roman governors. And the Roman Empire was not about to see their unquestioned rule and might challenged by an upstart from Nazareth. And so as Jesus teaches in the temple, using parables that talk about overthrowing the religious elites, as Jesus overturns tables in the temple courts disrupting the religious economy, when Jesus says dangerous things about paying taxes, the religious elites and political leaders hatch a plan To get Jesus out of the way. And that's how palms turn into passion. And that's what this story means for our lives. You see, the crowds welcomed Jesus into the city. The crowds welcomed Jesus as their king. The crowds were happy Jesus was there until Jesus being there meant their lives needed to change. They were happy to have their Messiah until the Messiah disrupted the status quo. We have one more week until Easter. One more week until we remember and celebrate that the risen Christ has burst forth from the grave and burst into our hearts. But how often are we happy to have the risen Christ in our hearts until the risen Christ wants to disrupt our lives? How often are we happy to have Jesus with us until he wants to make demands of us. How, happy, how often are we happy to follow Jesus until Jesus wants to lead us to a place that we don't want to go? We are happy to give Palm Sunday to Jesus. We're happy to give the good moments, the triumphant moments to Jesus. We are happy to share in Christ's victories. But when Jesus wants to upset our worldview, when Jesus wants to upset our personal economics, When Jesus wants to upset our politics are we still happy to have Jesus? When Jesus wants to claim our checkbooks, when Jesus wants to claim our choices, when Jesus wants to claim the way we think about God, when Jesus wants to claim how we want to order our lives, are we still happy to have Jesus? For the religious and political elites in Jerusalem, For the crowds in Jerusalem, the answer was pretty clear. Jesus was arrested, tried, and led away to be crucified. In our hearts and in our lives, when we do not follow Jesus, when we do not give over the most important things to Jesus, when we balk when Jesus wants us to go further, we crucify Jesus too. We crucify Jesus in our hearts when we won't give all of our lives over to him. When Jesus stands trial and is given the chance to defend himself, Jesus is silent before his accusers. Jesus is silent before Pilate. Jesus is silent as the crowds decide whether he or Barabbas will be set free. Jesus is silent as the crowd decides his punishment. Jesus is silent as he is beaten, as he is whipped, and as he is led away to be crucified. Jesus will be silent before us as well. If we will not go further, if we will not continue to follow, if we will not let Jesus be Lord of all our lives, Jesus will be silent. And he will let us crucify him in our hearts. Just as the crowd... And the religious and political elites and the Romans crucified him at Golgotha. This morning, as we consider how we will respond to the risen Christ, as we consider if Jesus will really be our Lord and our King, I want us to be silent. Silent before the word. Silent before the story of the Passion. I'm going to read the passion story from Matthew's Gospel. It'll be on the screen over here and it's printed in your lifeline. Listen to the story and then contemplate for a few minutes after whether you will hail Jesus as your king, following him wherever he goes, or whether you will tell him to get out Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply. Not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas? or Jesus, who is called the Messiah. For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't, do any, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? "'What crime has he committed?' asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, "'Crucify him!' When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. "'I am innocent of this man's blood,' he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put on a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, They took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Let God rescue him now if he wants. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Before Jesus was arrested, before Jesus was tried, before he was mocked and beaten and crucified, he shared a final meal with his closest friends. And at the meal, he took bread, he gave thanks to God, and he broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup and gave thanks to God. gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood, blood of a new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Pour out your Holy Spirit, O God, on us gathered here, and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by His blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God. Amen. We come to the table remembering Christ's sacrifice for us. We come to the table remembering Christ's suffering on our behalf. We come to the table uniting our lives and our offerings and our sacrifices with Christ as we seek to experience the victory, as we hope for the victory that next week celebrates. Communion here at Spirit Life is open to all regardless of age or church membership. This is the Lord's table and Jesus invites all to come and dine with him. We invite you to bring any offerings you would have as you come forward and place them in the basket so that way your offerings, be they your lives, be they your prayers, or be they your talents and treasures, could be united in this moment with the offering that Christ makes on our behalf. Would those who are helping serve, please come forward. And as they do, uh, with the confidence of children of God, let us pray together as Christ taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We have elements that are free of the eight most common food allergens, uh, gluten, wheat, dairy, egg, uh, and some others. If you need those, just ask your server.
1: the strong Shake off these heavy chains Wipe away every stain I'm not who I used to be I am
0: redeemed Almighty and all-loving God we thank you for the ways in which you impart your grace unto us Grant that we might go into the world strengthened by your spirit to follow Jesus Christ even to the cross. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with
1: us one more time, please? So next Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, we are going to sing Christ the Lord has risen today. And if you would like to come up and sing with us, we welcome you all to come. But you need to be here at 9 o'clock so we can rehearse the song once or twice, so feel free to come at 9 o'clock and sing with us. Oh Lord, you sir. shed for me There's no greater love than this You have overcome the grave Your glory fills the highest place What can separate me
0: now Receive these words of benediction This Sunday, we ask a simple question. Who is your king? Go from here. And let your life be the answer to that question. And as you go, know that our God, the living God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, goes with you now and abides with you always. Amen.